If you're turning with me today, we're going to start in 1 Kings. going to be starting in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to look at a quick story there, and then we'll jump around a little bit. Talk to you about something that, that God's laid on my heart. But today I want to talk to you about the power that you have. You may not know it, but you're powerful. God's spirit and presence is on the inside of you, and there's a purpose and a plan for your life. And I believe inside of every one of us there is untapped power. The, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that God's placed on the inside of us. And I just want to take a few minutes today and look at some keys of how we can unlock the power that God's placed inside of us. You know, I have a, uh, a pretty sweet new truck that I went to go get, get my load of pig food Thursday. And it was pouring rain, and I was super grateful to have a window that rolls up. And I was really grateful for AC and a good radio and sway bars. And, and the thing that really hit me was when they loaded down the, my normal load of pig food in my old truck, I told Jesse, I can't tell, probably, I don't want to exaggerate, but probably 60% of the trip home. Now, after the trailer's loaded, I'm pedal to the metal. Trying to pick up enough speed because the truck just can't hardly pull that much weight. And when you stomp, you can push the gas pedal all the way to the floor and it doesn't take off. Gas pedal all the way to the floor. It's a slow, gradual speed up. Not in the new truck. It's also been a few years since I've had a speeding ticket. Don't worry, I didn't get one. <laughs> but in this truck, you push the gas and it speeds up. Even with the load. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Why? And now I'm actually trying to remember why I was talking about the truck. Oh, yeah. It's got plenty of power. But if I lose the key this little bitty key that I've got in my pocket, then I still own the truck. My name's still on the title. It's still got a powerful enough motor to do everything I need to do. But if I don't have the key, then it's not doing me any good. And I don't want my Christian life to look like, yeah, I have the power. And Jesus, we, we see all throughout Scripture and we talk about how Jesus died on the cross and gave us the Holy Spirit and he gave us the power to do all these things and he said the works that I do shall you do and greater works than these Jesus said so Jesus did some pretty great works and we can do greater like there's that power inside of us the same scripture tells us the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you so I don't want to run around without the power you know, also, if you don't put gas in that truck, you don't have the power either. So we're going to look at a couple of keys today. Oh, I didn't run it out of gas either, if you're wondering. But Patrick is still taking bets. 
All right. If I don't have the key, I won't have the power. Or I won't experience the power that has been given to me. Can I word it that way? The power that I have access to. Let's look at this story. 1 Kings 18, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, who was the king at the time, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now, you need to know that we're in the middle of a drought. There was no rain. It had been years since they had seen rain. So he says, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. You're crazy. It wasn't raining yet, but he heard the sound. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth. And he put his face between his knees. It's Elijah did yoga. And it took him a while to get where he could do that. I can't put my face between my knees. I don't know about you, but it's pretty impressive. He put his face between his knees. Why? Because he was putting himself in a posture of prayer. He was crying out to God and he was... By putting your face in between your knees, you're cutting out all the distractions. You can't see anything else that's going on around you. You put your head down in between his knees and began to cry out to God like he cut the distractions out of his life. Like it's important, God, we need the rain. So I'm getting serious about this thing. I'm going to quit looking around. I'm going to quit talking to the king. I'm going to quit talking to my servant right now. I'm going to put my face between my knees. I'm going to cut out the distractions. And I'm going to cry out, I'm going to hear the voice of God. Verse 43. And said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, There's nothing. That's a discouraging word. I put my face between my knees and cried out to you, God. I already told the king that you're about to come through with the rain. Nothing. And he said, go again. This happened seven times. Well, that's got to get discouraging. You know that song that we sang to open up the service, Walking Around These Walls is singing about Jericho. I thought by now they'd fall. Same thing happening here. Like He's like, God, I'm crying out to you. I'm your man. You know, I've got your power. I just defeated all these prophets of Baal. And now I thought I heard your voice say the rain was coming. I heard the sound of rain coming. And I've cut out the distractions. And number five, what'd you see? Nothing. Number six, what'd you see? Nothing. My God. He said nothing. He did it seven times, verse 44. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. It's almost like he's making something up. I don't want to tell him nothing again. There's a little cloud about as big as a man's hand I thought I saw coming over the sea. It's a little one. That's a pretty small cloud. 
And he said, go up and say unto Ahab, that was enough apparently, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. It's time to evacuate. A storm's coming. It hadn't rained in years. Plus, they're in a desert. Mount Carmel, he's, he's in a desert, and he's telling him, hey, we're in a desert, and I know it hadn't rained for years, but go tell him you better evacuate. You're not even going to get out of town. There's a bad storm coming in. It's a cloud the size of a man's hand. Doubt it's going to stop the king's chariot. That's what he said. Go tell him. Evacuate. You better get out of here. Rain's coming. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds. Wait a minute. You notice it went from a little bit of cloud the size of a man's hand when he obeyed and went and spoke to the king something that sounded crazy and you couldn't even see it yet. There was no rain yet. But after he obeyed, the clouds grew black and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Look at verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. The hand of the Lord or the power of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins. So to gird up your loins is to tie up the long outer garment between your legs for increased mobility for battle or work. So, you know, they wore robes like long dresses. And so it is to take all that long robe and you tie it up in a knot between your legs so that you can fight or work or play sports or whatever. That's all it was. So look what he did. The power of the Lord came on him and he started tying up his dress. Tying it up around his legs. Something about to happen. I'm getting ready. And he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He outran the king's chariot. From Mount Carmel to Jezreel. That's 20 miles. This joker tied up his dress and took off running and outran the king's horses, which would have been the best horses in the land that pulled the king's chariot. These would have been the fastest and best horses there were. I mean, it's kind of impressive to outrun any horse, I guess. (laughs) I'm trying to make it impressive that he ran 20 miles and outran horses. I guess it's impressive you can outrun one of my mom's donkeys, but so really any horse would be pretty impressive. But... These were the best horses in the land, pulling the king in his chariot. This dude outran them and beat them there. Tells us he was standing at the gate at Jezreel when the king got there. Like, what? How? I don't think Tristan can outrun the king's horses. I know he's training a lot for cross country in college, but keep working, Tristan. He ran 20 miles. He saw God's power that day. And he got a vision and he heard the sound of rain before it ever happened. 
So what did he do? He positioned himself to hear. Remember, he went up on the mountain and he put his head between his knees. He cut out the distractions. And I feel like so many times that's why I don't walk in power. Is just get distracted. It may not even be bad things. It may not even be like sin or big. It's just so many distractions. So many things that I allow myself to get distracted by. He positioned himself to hear and then see. He said, I see a cloud. I hear a sound. So I feel like I'm supposed to tell somebody today. I wasn't going to start with this story. I had another part, but the time is now. See, there came a point in time after he had been seeking God and he cut out the distractions and he heard, right? And even they saw the cloud and he said the word to the king, but there came a point in time where he had to pull his head out from between his legs tie up his dress and take off running so for somebody today you must run now it's time to run the time is now you must run but you're going to need power have you ever missed God while waiting on God I feel like I have. Like you feel like you're waiting on God. I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God. And then, realize, I, yeah, I think I missed God. <laughs> Shoot. That's because you didn't run. You were waiting, you were waiting, you were waiting, but you missed the time. When, when it was time to run, you didn't run. When it was time to act, you didn't act. You didn't step out and maybe it was because of fear or maybe you didn't have the faith or maybe you, for whatever reason, maybe you talked yourself out of it. Maybe you got distracted, but you didn't run when the time came to run. I've been there before. Like, you ever been late for a movie? I haven't been to the movies in a long time. Seems like a really long time since I've been to the movies. But I kind of like getting there early enough to get some popcorn, maybe some M&Ms, go watch the previews to see what other movies are coming out. Might be good, but... You ever go with somebody that doesn't really care? And Oh, previews will go for 20 minutes. As long as we're there before the movie, it doesn't matter. We're not in a hurry. Well, guess what? If you drag your feet long enough or it takes too long here and there and you're messing around and you don't get out the door and then, of course, living out here in Waco, now, what, the closest movie theater is probably 45 minutes. It depends on how fast you drive, 30. But you can miss the movie. And it doesn't matter if you, you, maybe you called and you checked to see what was playing and you thought, yeah, that's the plan for my life, Friday night, 
Now I've got a vision and a goal and a dream because I want to see that movie and I think it's going to speak to me. I think it's going to make me laugh, whatever it is. And now I've got a vision and a goal and now I'm waiting until Friday night at 6 o'clock to walk it out. But then if I mess around and I'm late and it's 6.30 and I hadn't left my house yet because something came up and a pig got out of the fence and I tried to catch the pig and then this happened and that happened and then I realized I missed the movie. It's not that the movie left me. Right? It's not on the movie. The movie's going to play. The good news is it'll play again. It's okay. It's going to play again. Another movie's going to come out another time. Like, so if you missed it, it's okay. There's another show time. It's going to play again. You can, you can see another movie, but you may have missed this one. The movie theater wasn't waiting on me. We were waiting on it. Purpose doesn't have a parking spot. We've talked about that before. You must chase it. Your purpose ain't going to just sit there waiting on you. You're going to have to run after it. You're going to have to go for it. It would take no faith if it just sat there waiting until you had all your ducks in a row and everything was ready and you could figure it out. So you must run now. As the rain, rain throughout Scripture represents God's power, the rain of God, wind of God, God's rain. So as the rain or the power began to fall, I found this interesting. Mount Carmel, where he was when he prayed, Mount Carmel means fertile ground. It's the translation of the word means fertile ground right so we're fertile ground we always talk about sowing seed and we see all these things in the bible and how how we're the ground and we want to come in prepared and we want to come into church service prepared and that's what the worship through the worship we're getting plowed up and getting the ground ready because we know that seed's coming So I think about Elijah as he started to run on that mountain and the rain started to come and he was going to outrun the rain and outrun the chariot. He was there at fertile ground and here comes the rain and God's power. But where was he running to or what did he run to? Jezreel, where he ran to, it means may God give seed. May God give seed. It's not enough to just have fertile ground and rain. You got to have seed if you want to have a crop. If you want to reap a harvest, you got to have seed. It's not enough to just have the fertile ground and the rain of God, the presence of God. You stand in here in a worship service and sing the presence, the rain. I, for some reason, when I did that, I couldn't think of any worship song. <laughs> you sing. And then, if you don't allow seed, you don't run after the seed. 
Well, what's the seed? Seed is God's word. If you don't allow the seed to be sown or you don't run after the seed, what God said, God's purpose, who you are in God, what God says about your life, what the seeds that are being sown, then you won't have a harvest. You know what else seeds are? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Thoughts. They're seeds. Inside your brain, your thoughts. Or, you know, I heard somebody say it this way, like how you say a train of thought. Every thought is a train, and it's taking you somewhere. So be careful what trains you're boarding in your mind because they're going to take you somewhere. Wait, where's this thing headed? Before I jump on this thought train, this train of thought, one thought leads to another thought to another thought. Eventually, your thoughts lead to words and actions, choices. Choices make up your life. But every choice starts with a thought. Thoughts are seeds. Galatians 6, 8 tells us, if we sow to the flesh, that we will reap of the flesh destruction. And if we sow to the spirit, the spirit man inside of us, that we'll reap life. Paul wrote that. So Elijah, in the story we just read, he had power. We read it in verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And now it's a little different for us because this was before the cross. Now Jesus died, went to the cross, fixed relationship with us and God. He came back. And on the day of Pentecost, Christians received the Holy Spirit. So now we have that power inside of us. You're saved. You're a Christian. You've accepted what was done for you on the cross, that your sin is paid for. You have access to the power. Remember after, um, in Acts, I wasn't going to turn there. Sorry, I'm referencing some scriptures I didn't give Peg. In Acts 1-8, after Jesus went to the cross and he came back to the disciples, remember he gives them what we know as the Great Commission. He says, you're going to go into the whole world and preach the gospel. and First at home and then into the cities around you and then into the uttermost parts of the world. You 12 spread the gospel to the whole world. Big call. Huge purpose. It's up to you. There's only 12 of you. And you're going to be heavily persecuted. And killed, most of you. Like, huh? And then he said, wait, but wait, wait. Don't go yet. Wait. He told him, wait, because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, why did he tell them to wait? Because to fulfill the call that was on their lives, the cross wasn't enough. The old preacher just said the cross wasn't enough. Yeah, it was enough to restore relationship with the Father. It was enough to cover their sins, past, present, and future. It was enough to send them to heaven. But it wasn't enough to walk out the call that God had on their life. They didn't have the power. 
they couldn't have done it without the Holy Spirit. So, yes, I'm saying the cross wasn't enough. It was enough to save them. But it wasn't enough to walk out the call, the purpose. They had to have the power. How do I receive power? Look at Ephesians 5.15. See what Paul said. Paul knew a little something about power. And it wasn't because he had the perfect circumstances. This is Paul's letter, instructions to the church at Ephesus. And he says, starting in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. He's just saying, be smart. Don't just run around being dummies. Be smart. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Where's Tracy? Tracy brought this verse up today, not knowing what I was going to be preaching about. He brought it up up here talking to the worship team about how we should like not take things for granted. And you don't know how much longer you have on earth. So if you love somebody, tell them and... and had just a really good talk and reminder, but he didn't know that he was giving me some confirmation because I was preaching about that scripture. And I almost said something when he was talking, and I thought, nah, I'm going to wait and let him hear it in the message. Because then he, Tracy, like, quoted this scripture when he was telling us that. And I thought, that's pretty cool. Because it was good what he was saying, but it was also good for me because it was some confirmation that I was on the right track. So... Redeeming the time because the days are evil. What's he saying in that verse? Just don't waste time. That's all he's trying to get across there is don't waste time. Every moment. Don't sit there on your phone while your kid's trying to ask you something. Stop wasting time is what Paul's telling them. Wherefore be ye not unwise... But understanding what the will of the Lord is, and I'm going to add, for you. It didn't say that on the end of the verse. I'm adding the for you part. Because a lot of people get caught up on, well, what's the will of the Lord for our president and our country? Or what's the will of the... And if you can just make it so big, it doesn't affect you. Right, You can make it so big that it doesn't affect you or how you live or you walking out your call or what's the will of the Lord for our church? And that's not a bad thing. Like, that's a good thing. And it's not bad for you to ask that question, but not in place of and definitely not before you ask for me. What is the will of the Lord for me and my life? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? What is it that otherwise you won't move in power? You'll be looking for Pastor Dusty to move in power. You'll be looking for an official or a boss or an organization or somebody else to move in power. And they will and they might. But you need to ask for me. What is the will of the Lord for you? Or the word of God for you. God's word. 
if you, I'm going to finish reading the rest of this, but if you look over on the one page over for me, it's the next page over. It's um, 17, 6, 17, Ephesians 6, 17. It's where he's instructing us to put on the full armor of God. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And spirit there is capital S, meaning it's talking about God, the Holy Spirit, God's spirit. So the sword of the spirit, well, what is that? He tells us right there, which is the word of God. Wait, so the word of the God, the word of God, that's the sword of the spirit. A lot of people talk about putting on the armor of God, put on the full armor of God, and it's great, and it all has a purpose and a reason, but guess what? The sword is the only offensive weapon, the only offensive piece of armor. The shield, you could use it to fight with and hit, and it may even have a couple of spikes and stuff, but I don't know about y'all, but if I'm in a fight... Old, old kind of fighting with armor and I got on a suit of armor the one thing I don't want to lose is my sword because without my sword I'm not going to win I don't care if I lose my helmet I can keep fighting I can keep taking ground I can keep advancing moving forward but if I lose my sword I got to retreat I gotta back down. I've gotta use my shield to, to block. All of a sudden, I'm no longer taking ground. I'm no longer advancing the fight. We're, we're called to advance the kingdom of God. But if I don't have a sword, I don't have the word, then I'm no longer advancing and I'm just putting on the helmet of salvation and, and the breastplate of peace and all the other parts of the armor. I'm, I'm just needing all that stuff to protect me from dying so that I can hide or run or and there's no armor on the back there's nothing on the back of you because you were never called to run away I had to say away real fast because I just told you a minute ago God's word for somebody was run now then I just told you you were never supposed to run you're never supposed to run away we're always supposed to be running forward running into the future Never looking back into the past. Always running forward. So the sword is the only offensive part of the armor. The Word of God. It's the one thing you don't want to, you don't want to lose. So if you want to win the war against whatever it is that you're fighting, probably all fighting all different things, you need the Word. And that Word there, the Word of God, it's a living Word. There's two different kinds of Word. There's the words, like words that are written down on a piece of paper in a book. And then there's the living Word. It's two different words. This Word is living Word. It's rhema, revelation. It's an alive Word. So, like, I can sit here and read a Bible verse, and it can be life and alive and jump off the page and speak to my situation, and it can be life. That's rhema. 
Whereas somebody else can read it and it mean nothing and there's no life. It's just, you're just seeing words on a paper. This is Rhema, Revelation, Living Word. Remember when Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word that's coming forth out of the mouth of God. God, I, I need to hear your voice. I need to hear your word for this moment, this situation. This, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my head between my knees. I'm going to cut out the distractions and hear your voice. That's why we're instructed to pray and fast often. Just to cut out the distractions. And to hear every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We were created in His image. And there's power in your words. God created everything we see with His words. And you have the power to, with your words... Remember, thoughts, words start as thoughts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you have the power to create or repeat with your words, with your thoughts. I'm going to finish reading verse 18, chapter 5, verse 18, where I left off. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul compares being drunk with being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for some things giving thanks always for the good things in your life giving thanks always for when things were it doesn't say it says giving thanks let me read it not misquote it giving thanks always for all things all things all things what's he saying find something to be grateful for find the good you can well, what are you doing? You're training your brain. You're training. You're creating thought patterns. Find something to be grateful for. It's the, the attitude of gratitude. It's he's saying, be thankful unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So, couple things about that what we just read like because we want to be filled with the spirit that's God's power right? we saw that Jesus told the disciples that like you don't have the power to do what I'm calling you to do without the Holy Spirit so I want the Holy Spirit in my life so that I can do all that he's called me to do I want the power I want the Holy Spirit I want to understand the Holy Spirit I don't want it to be some weird thing that I'm like this out there mystical thing because if I don't understand it I'll never walk in the full power of it I don't know how to work it. We want to be filled with the Spirit. So why in verse 18 did Paul compare it with being drunk? Like why, would he, why would you compare it with being drunk? I'm trying to understand what this is. I want power. I don't think of a drunk person as a powerful person. I think of it as an easy win. I mean, <laughs> just, just saying. 
Here's why. Most people get drunk for two reasons. One, for courage. Two, for happiness. Usually one of those two reasons. A glass of liquid courage, you may have heard it called. To give you courage, it makes you brave. It takes your fear away. It makes you do some dumb stuff sometimes. If you get drunk, it makes you brave. Why? It gives you courage. There's a reason you've heard people call it liquid courage. If you're heartbroken, it helps make you happy. Take away, numb that pain. If, if you got hurt or pain or if you're scared or if you're stressed out, it can numb that. It can bring a little happiness. You're upset about something going on in your life. Yeah, it, it numbs it. It can help you be happy for a little while, for a moment. But getting drunk doesn't take away any of the problems at all. A lot of times it makes them worse. Like what I needed courage for or what I was trying to find happiness, a lot of times it makes it worse. But it definitely doesn't take away the problems or fix any problems. Uh, it's just an escape momentarily from the problem. It doesn't change circumstances. It doesn't make you look better so you have the courage to go up and ask that girl out at the bar. And No, you just have the courage. It doesn't fix the problem. You still haven't brushed your teeth. It just makes you not care. Being filled with the Holy Spirit gives you real courage and real happiness. It may not magically change the situation, but it or he, we're talking about a he, a person. The Holy Spirit is God. He will give you the courage and joy, real courage, real joy. It's not a counterfeit. It's not something that, you know, afterwards things might be worse. It's real courage and real joy that don't depend on circumstances. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll have courage and happiness. And the Holy Spirit gives real peace and courage by opening your eyes. If you can see the invisible, then you can do the impossible. Like the Holy Spirit isn't a force to be conjured. It's a relationship to be cultivated. And I think a lot of times, especially in some Christian circles, like we make it into such a weird thing. And my relationship, my day-to-day -day relationship with God is not some weird thing. It's not a spooky thing. In fact, the longer I'm in relationship with God, the, the more natural it becomes. It just seems familiar to my soul and my spirit and my body and my brain have to catch up sometimes. I 
You know, roll your eyes back in your head and laugh and cry and bark. And I've heard people say, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit and all these things and, and try to make it into something it's not. God says, no, nah, that's not me. But if you hear somebody say, don't abuse the Spirit, or they're abusing the Spirit, you think of all these weird things or crazy things, but you know what? Neglect is abuse too. Think of a, a child. There's not a lot worse to me than child abuse. But neglect is abuse too. That's why we're told in Scripture, don't neglect the Holy Spirit. Don't abuse the Holy Spirit by making it some weird, crazy thing and putting your rules on it and making it about works. But don't neglect the Spirit either. Because that's abuse too. Remember um, that story? We won't turn there and read the whole story because we talked about it before. I'm trying to wrap this thing up. Um, in Acts 5, when... Peter and really, really trying to think when when uh, Peter and the disciples were preaching, and they got caught and they got thrown into jail, and they got beat, and they were doing what God called them to do. It wasn't like they were out sinning, or it wasn't like they were Jonah running from God. Like they were actually out doing what they were supposed to do. And they got caught, and, and they went before a judge, and they got beat up. And it was Peter and the other apostles. And it says in Acts 5, verse 40, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, that they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Joying, that word rejoicing. Delighted, glad, joyful, joying, because they got beat and told never to talk about Jesus again. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple... And in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They were thankful. They were rejoicing because they got beat and told not to walk out the call that was on their life. And they were happy. They said they didn't even slow down. In the churches, in the synagogue, in the houses, they were still running around. You use it as an illustration, the, the scars on their back. Rejoicing. If you use your past, it loses the power to use and abuse you. Can you thank God for your past? If not, there's still some healing that needs to happen. If you're not grateful... If you can't thank God for your past, you need some healing. You're not there yet. And that's part of how you will see the power. But it all starts with your thoughts. 
choices. They start as thoughts. So three things you can do. I just took them out of these scriptures. Number one, be thankful. Practice gratitude. In everything you do, I try to teach this to my boys really a lot lately. Find something to be grateful for. We're not going to find negativity in everything, in every situation. And No, we're going to find something about that to be grateful for. Something that I can be thankful for in that person and in my family and in this situation. And even if the situation looks bad, we're going to find something we can be, be thankful for, be grateful for, and practice gratitude. Something you get better at. It's not just, well, I'm not a thankful person. Yeah, nobody is naturally. It's something you practice and get good at. Well, preacher, you don't know what I've been through. You've never been through what I've been through. You need to just give me a minute. Okay. But don't get stuck in your pity party. Sometimes you need to take a minute to heal. But if you want to move in power... Right? If you want to see more people come to Jesus, you want to be used by God, you want to advance the kingdom, you need to be thankful, especially in seasons when you shouldn't be. Especially. That's when it matters most. Everybody's thankful when they should be. I don't think there's anybody, Christian or not, if I walk up and hand them a thousand bucks, they're going to be thankful. Right? But if I walk up and punch them in the face, they're not going to be thankful, right? Hopefully, if they are thankful, they need the healing on some other stuff. There's something else going on. So when it really counts is when you shouldn't be thankful. That's when it really matters. Not when everything's going good. I hope you're thankful then. If you want to move in power, that's one, be thankful. Imagine that. What if you just went into work tomorrow and you were just so thankful for your job? You were so thankful. You found reasons to be thankful for your, your boss, your coworkers, your, your desk, the, the coffee pot they have in the break room that hadn't been cleaned in years. What, what if you went in and you were just so thankful? thankful for everything I mean, it would probably be a shock you may get pee tested <laughs> right they, they, your boss may ask if you're, uh, if you're drunk you can say I'm drunk with the Holy Spirit and listen to Pastor Dusty I'm actually thankful that's why Paul compared it to being drunk because if you're full of the Holy Spirit you may get accused of being drunk same with some of y'all's marriages. What if, you, what if you were just so thankful, kept telling your spouse different things you were thankful for? She'd probably say, are you, are you okay? Like, you been drinking a little bit or something? You may be a shock. You know, I've sat and talked with people as a pastor with like issues in their marriage, and that's never one time been the issue. I just can't stand it. She is so thankful. 
you thankful for this and thankful for that and grateful for me and all that I do for our family. And I'm, I've never seen that as a problem. Right? <laughs> he is driving me crazy. Won't quit thanking me for stuff. He's so grateful for the way I look and grateful for the way I mother our kids. And that's never been a problem. I've never heard of that. I've heard of a whole lot of different marriage problems. Even some weird ones, but never that. Never heard of that as a problem in a relationship with a friend or in a marriage or in, like it's never been a problem. I ain't going to be friends with that dude. He's too thankful. Nope. Gratitude. All right. Got to hurry up. I only have three. That was one. Here's two. Take in the word. Want to move in power, you have to take in word. You have to get the seed. I said it a few minutes ago, like, fertile ground's not enough. Plowing up the ground and getting good. You have to have seed. The word of God is seed. The rhema, the revelation word of God, the spoken word of God. You may have gotten some seed today through what I'm saying or through the scripture that I'm reading, but you have to take in the word. You want to see a harvest, you have to have seed. So you have to take in the word of God. The that scripture that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Dwell in you, that's to live in you, to stay in you. You go over it and over it. You meditate on it. You, you think about it. The word, you're putting in the word. You're feeding your spirit, man. You're taking in word. You're taking in the word. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance the words that I have spoken. You can't remember what you hadn't heard. That's part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to remind you what God has spoken. But if you never heard what God spoke, then He's got nothing to remind you of. You can put the best chef in the world in a kitchen with only a cabinet full of ramen noodles, and there's only so much He can do. I mean, you ain't giving Him nothing to work with. In fact, I'll challenge Him to a cooking contest because I can cook them bad boys. That's how the Holy Spirit is in our minds sometimes. I feel like He's just kicking around in there like, God, this situation, He really needs to hear God's Word. He really needs to hear what Jesus said, but ain't nothing in here to work with. He ain't put no words in here, so I can't remind Him of anything. Wait, there's one from Sunday school when He was a kid. It's kind of a stretch, but it's all I got to work with. Noah. Like you, I mean... I'm just saying, if you don't give him anything to remind you of, you can't remember. Put the word in. Eat it. Drink it. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Listen to preachers. Listen to worship. Read your Bible. Pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. It's a song. All right. Third one, singing. Doesn't matter if you can sing or not. It's a joyful noise to God. Colossians 3.16 uh, tells us to come to God with singing. Look at it for this last one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. See, that's the word we talked about, the number two, letting the word dwell in you, live in you, stay in you. 
that same word, abide, to dwell, to live, to stay. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. In everything you do, do it in the name of God. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Question it. Like, hey, can I do what I'm about to do or say? He said in word or deed, the things that you say, the things that you do. And by the way, the things that you say and do, they start as thoughts. So we can back it on up to every thought. Is this going to glorify God? With everything that you do, give thanks to God. Hmm. Singing, third one, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. This is one of over 100 times that you are commanded in the Bible to sing to God. It is the second most commanded Christian discipline in Scripture behind prayer. We are commanded to sing to God. And Scripture tells us that God is singing over us. Romans says that all of creation is groaning and waiting for the day. See, you're not just singing to God. You're singing with God. You're singing like that Scripture we read last week, Philippians 4. I think it's verse 9 where it says that He'll work you into His most excellent harmonies. That's how the Message Bible words it. You're singing in harmony with God when you're choosing to worship and sing and praise. Praise is to be grateful, thankful, to have gratitude, to sing to God for what all He's done. Um, in Luke 15, 5, where Jesus is telling the story about the, the good shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. He finds the one lost sheep, and it says that he puts it on his shoulders, and he leaves rejoicing, singing with gladness, rejoicing that's giving thanks that he found the sheep. He's just singing and whistling all the way back. We can join in and sing with him. And see, all of these things, they start in your brain, being thankful. Taking in the word, singing, worshiping, all these things, it all starts up here. And it's the patterns that you set up every single day. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and they say, hold that thought? Was that like, oh, it's something important. You mean like, I need to hear the rest of this, but my wife's calling. Hold that thought. Hang on a second. Or, yeah, wait, I, I really do care about how the rest of this turns out. Or, there's some good information here I need, but, you know, I really need to run to the bathroom. Hold that thought. You ever heard somebody say that? What does that mean? It's like you're putting a bookmark on this moment. Because you want to come back to it. You want to remember where you left off. So, I'm just going to put a, a verbal bookmark in this moment. Hold that thought. But when we say hold that thought... 
it's putting it on somebody else. I need you to hold that thought. Remember where you're at so you can finish this in a minute. But I want you to know today that you can hold your own thoughts. And it'll change your life. It will make you powerful. If you can learn to take control of your thoughts, it'll change your world. And in fact, it'll change the world around you. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Or as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's how powerful your thoughts are. We know from Romans 12, 1, it tells us that we can be transformed by the renewing or the resetting of our mind. That it can change our whole lives. That we'll see a transformation just by that. Philippians 4, 6. Paul's telling us, we read it last week, so I won't even go to it. But Paul's telling us, think on these things. Things that are good and true and lovely. Things to bless and not curse. That's things to be grateful for. He's, he's reading us all these things in Philippians 4, 6. Like what we should be filling our minds with. He's telling us how to train our brains. How to think on these things. You know you can't delete thoughts. I wish you could sometimes. I've had some thoughts. I'd like to just hit the delete button. Delete all. But you can't delete thoughts. You can replace them. You can replace a thought. If a thought pops in there, you have absolute authority to judge that thought and replace it. You can reject a thought. Some of y'all didn't know that. Y'all thought thought becomes feeling, becomes action. Boom. Reckless. Dangerous. You can't delete thoughts. You can replace them. Um, in 2 Corinthians, it you guys know the verse. 2 Corinthians is... Uh, Chapter 10, verse 3. Verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing. Your imagination, he lists it with every high thing. So it's powerful. It's up there. That exalteth itself against the knowledge of God or against the truth, against what God says. Okay? Everything that goes against what God says or God's word and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You can take captive every thought. Every single thought that you have, you have the absolute authority and ability to take it captive. What does it mean if you take something captive? If I take you captive, you're my prisoner. I decide what you can do if you're my captive. You don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. You're my thought. You don't run me. I run you. This says you can take captive every thought in obedience to Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's obedience is that I would take every thought captive. Well, that seems kind of impossible because there's thoughts popping in my head. There's no way I could catch all of them. Right now, I'm having 10 thoughts pop in my head. Go Falcons, rise up. Like, 
there's thoughts that I'm like squirrel. And I'm trying to remain in obedience. Taking captive every thought. You set up a trap. You don't chase thoughts. When a thought pops in my head, I don't chase it. Jump on that train of thought and see where that train is going to take me. No. How do you do that? By taking control of your mind. Your SSP, Selective Sensory Perception, is the part of your brain that filters out unimportant information. And it filters in important information. It's how we stay alive. It's when you're walking in a busy city, it's like your brain is constantly the SSP. Part of your brain is filtering information and saying, not important, not important, not important. Bus speeding towards us over the sidewalk, important. It's what causes you to move. That's the SSP. Okay? Not important, not important. Important. Tells you when something's important and when something's not important. And it's how we focus. It's how humans focus on what's important. And forget about all the distractions. Psychologists tell us that through lots of studies, you can train your SSP. Like you heard of somebody working on their hand-eye coordination or like a boxer training that's getting punched in the face all the time. You can train your SSP that, hey, when there's a fist flying towards me, I need to see it and move. So your brain knows that's important piece of information. You can train it what's important and what's not. In fact, without even realizing that we've all trained our brains. What is important, what's not. What to filter out, what to dwell on. What we're going to follow, what we're not. It's the patterns. Here's the problem. If you're really cynical, that means you've trained your brain to filter out every possibility for hope. If you're negative all the time, then you've probably trained your brain to filter out the positive. If you don't believe you're lovable, then you've trained your brain to remove any information that says you're loved. It's your SSP. You've trained it. You can reverse it. The thoughts you hold on to determine the future you're headed to. Hold that thought. You can take thoughts captive. And the thoughts that you hold on to determine the future you're headed to. You control your thoughts. They don't control you. So you can take a thought and put it in a holding cell. It's your captive. Judge it. Does it line up with the truth? Does it glorify God? Is it a grateful thought? Is it a thought of gratitude? Is it a death or a life seed? This thought. And you can reject thoughts. Let's pray. God, we want to move in power. God, we want all that you have for us. We're climbing this mountain with our hands wide open. And we're looking for you. God, for some of us, we... 
we hear you speaking and we know we need to cut out the distractions. We need to put our head between our knees and, and cry out to you. For some of us, we hear your voice saying, hey, gird your loins and run now. You have the power. You've been preparing the ground and, and my rain is coming now, but you better get some seed. You better step. You better run. God, help us to find the good in every situation and every person. and Help us to be people of gratitude. Help us to live in your word and to eat your word and to dwell on your word. And remind us to worship, to sing praises to you, and to change the atmosphere of our lives, to set the stage for big things, to set the stage for miracles. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.